The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we will review Austin's cup-winning week. We will preview the Red Bulls match, and we'll cover some other pieces of Austin FC news. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I am Jeremiah Bentley, and I had a good soccer week this week. How about you, Landon? I did. I'm, I think I'm too old to go this hard this many days <laughs> in a row. I'm very tired, and I don't really see an end in sight for this, but <laughs> hopefully uh, a whole week in between games will be helpful. So when we were talking earlier today, did you like go to, go to a game, get back in the middle of the morning, and then like go to ACL? Uh, yeah, I went to an that... a- ACL taping last night, and so drove home from Dallas the day after that game, and then took a nap, and then went straight to that concert. Who'd you see? Uh, Lucius, who's one of my, my favorite bands, um, me and my wife actually like early in our relationship, we saw them in Munich randomly. Uh, I was living in Spain and she was traveling through Germany for work. And so we met up there and Lucius was a band that I'd been listening to for a bit already and they happened to be playing there. And so, uh, and then after we like first moved to Austin, we went to an ACL taping. So that was like one of our like welcome to Austin things. So it was like, the ACL thing and then like seeing Lucius for the first time in a long time. It was like this, uh, a cool little full circle moment for, for us. So that was a lot of fun. Oh, that's very sweet. Were there like a lot of heart emojis on your Instagram stories about uh, going out and seeing the show or like there should have been. If I post posted Instagram stories, there would have (laughs) been. Okay. That's great. That's great. Well, I did not uh, go to the match this weekend, but I did go to the Austin soccer foundation gala on Thursday of last week at the uh, South Congress Hotel. It was a really good event. Um, striker, I keep wanting to say the, say the Striker Texas, although it's not only <laughs> the Striker Texas now. The Striker News was the presenting sponsor. Chris Bills like wore a suit and was one of the MCs of it. And so this Linda Hamilton, who's a U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame member who was inducted in the last class, was the keynote speaker. And she talked about being on the U.S. women's Olympic team that won the gold medal in 91 and just kind of the struggle of being a female soccer player in the 80s and 90s. And she was really, really good. So it was a high quality event. They gave out some scholarships. They raised some money. And so I would encourage everybody to go support Austin Soccer Foundation. And if you don't have, if you didn't have the chance to go this year, like check it out next year. It was really cool sort of things to be able to to go and do. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Uh, did you get to meet any any local soccer, soccer celebrities or, or uh, meet any... Moon Tower listeners, I did, what we did well. Los Verdes had a table, so like I met Rico. No, I didn't meet them. But yeah. <laughs> yes, there were celebrities about. Um, but let, the Austin Soccer Foundation board, right? It's an all volunteer board. They do a lot of good work. These guys were hustling the whole time. They were they were good to meet and spend time with. Um, but yeah, it was just cool overall. Yeah, those 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 people are are good folks for sure. All right, should we jump into some Austin FC news? We got a lot to cover this week, don't we? Not necessarily news-wise, but with the two games and then little hints of news. I think we have yeah. a lot to talk about. Yeah, I feel like the news part of this show is going to be like the news part of the show last week, but slightly <laughs> adjusted with moderately new rumors and information. So let's get into that. Yeah, so the Rigoni rumor uh, is 
not going away. It's still not confirmed, still not 100%, but seems like it's getting closer to it. And so Chris Bills was able to to get some really interesting quotes from a few different people, including one from Drusi uh, asking about um, about Emiliano Rigoni because they played that year together at Zenit. And uh, Drusi said, yes, he's my friend. I got to play with him at Zenit. The truth is that I have a very good relationship. I told him a little about the club. Uh, he asked me, I told him that here you can't come to relax, but rather you have to come to work hard. He knows that. Um, and then I think he, Drusy goes on to say, like, I like, I'm not involved in these negotiations. Like, I don't know if he's coming. If he does come, then he's welcome. Like, he'll we'll be waiting for him with welcome arms. If he doesn't, we'll keep working with what we have. Um, so the fact that he's willing to talk about it that openly, it's makes something you, makes you think works. it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing that came out on Twitter in the last day or so, uh, Germán García Grova, who is a journalist in Argentina, seems to deal a lot in, in transfer rumors and, and reporting on that kind of stuff. But, uh, he says that the agreement is agreement in principle is done and that the only thing that remains to solve is a bureaucratic issue. Um, I think a lot of us have an idea what that bureaucratic issue is, and we think it probably has to do with Cecilia Dominguez. Yeah. I can't imagine there's another bureaucratic issue that would come up. Um, and Cecilia was sort of, after being in a giant hole in terms of social media over the, for the last few months, it suddenly popped up at both, during the what Houston game, wasn't he like in the stands in the Houston game and posting too, and then just like generally kind of on Instagram, um, showing himself? And we need to overanalyze what that might mean. Yeah, do so. One could assume that maybe like he's gotten some good news recently, and that he's celebrating that and like in a good mood, and so he's starting to post uh, Instagram videos of him and his dog. And we haven't seen any guitar videos again, but. <laughs> No, we um, haven't. Um, but is do we think that's the case, or is this like is he on like a charm offensive trying to show the world like, hey, everything's okay, I'm still a fun guy? I don't know because if there's one thing I do know about social media is it is not reality. But bringing up <laughs> bringing up keytars reminds me, what is the Rigoni news that you found that you posted yes. on Twitter last week that we have did not talk about? Yeah, after the show, I think maybe it was the next day after we recorded, I started just doing some Googling about Rigoni. And like, I think he owns an esports team. So he's into video games. But then I was looking more, and he is in a cumbia band with some of his friends from like what looks like a very small town in Argentina. Uh, but it's like, if they have music videos and and like ever like pretty like put a lot of time and money into what they've done and i was kind of like a part of me kind of hoped like when i started watching the videos i was like i kind of hope this is really bad just cuz that would be a lot of fun i wouldn't say it's great but it's like not bad either like it's all very professionally done the music videos are a little bit silly uh but it seems like they're sponsored by the Brahma beer brand and have like some like soccer themed music videos, but like they're decent. But he, I, what I really liked about it, my favorite part is you would think like 
uh, like an attacking soccer player. Like the, the guys like that play that play attacking positions are known as being like a little bit egotistical, a little bit selfish. You would think, okay, this guy's the front man. He's playing lead guitar. He's like the singer. No, no, no. He's playing like the octopad, like the little drum pad machine and just has his head down, just like grooving out, playing the drums on this little, a little computer essentially. So I like that he's like not even the front man. He's just like hanging out in the back playing this little drum kit. I mean, I, I also did see some videos of him playing guitar and keyboard. So he, he can do a little bit of everything. So he's a little bit of, he's a talented musician too, uh, in addition to hopefully being a pretty good soccer player. And what do you think about this? This is probably Swoon Tower content, but this belief that he's kind of a poor man, Sebastian Gerussi, in terms of tattoos and smile. Like, do you see that? Do you see the comparisons? Oh, I don't, I don't think that's fair. I think he's, he's a different type. I think we're just adding to the arsenals of like, whatever you're into, Austin FC has it for you. And so he is very handsome though. Um, tattoos wise, maybe, maybe poor man's juicy, but I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, short him on any credit because I think he's a good looking dude. I think he's got a good smile. Okay. Well, that's, I, that's, that's the inbound. We should probably go back to talking about Cecilia, which is where we were well, a couple minutes what, ago. One last thing on Rigoni. I was tweeting about this as well. Um, Kevin Morris and myself, have been sharing we've found full games of sao paulo on youtube uh i'll I'll put some of those in the show notes or if y'all want to watch them hit me up on twitter but i was posting about this and commiserating with kevin through dms over the last week or so but sao paulo is terrible to watch i hate watching them play soccer <laughs> and like honestly it gave me a little bit more hope about Rigoni because looking at his track record he's been a little bit up and down has some good seasons some bad seasons but like, I feel like at least this last year in Sao Paulo, it just seems like a, a fit thing. Like the way they play, they play hopeful long balls that, and just like without really any plan as to what's going to happen after that. And so it's like, just kick it and like make this guy chase it. And Ragoni's playing striker in this team and is the one who's being asked to go chase these balls that aren't really even being hit anywhere near him. Not while he's like in stride or making a run, just like, here you go. <laughs> and it was there. I hated watching them play soccer and I feel really bad for the guys playing striker for them. So um, the guy is very talented, like undeniably talented. He can play with both feet. He does really well in close quarters with the ball. He has good vision. He moves really well in the box. So like, I think he has a good skill set to, to be a really dangerous winger. But when he plays more inside, his movement as a striker is really good as well. And so I think he's got a lot of tools. I think with the right fit, he can be a very good player uh, in this league. Um, Chris Bills in the article he put out last week, he had talked to some folks in uh, in Brazil that were familiar with Rigoni's play. And they said that even though his form had dropped off, he hadn't uh, gotten as much playing time, that he's never become a problem in the locker room, that the coach has even commended him for for his attitude, saying that like, yeah, he's he's having a hard time, but his attitude's been great. He's, he's still working really hard and, and been a really good part of the team. So you like to see that from, from a guy who's going through a hard time. I really do think that if if he can if we can just put him in a position to succeed that he will, because it doesn't feel like he's been in that position for a lot of his career, but yeah, on Cecilio. So Chris Bills got some comments from 
Diego Cerati, who is uh, Dominguez's agent. And Cerati said, yes, there are clubs interested. And when Bills asked um, if a transfer would be done before August, Cerati said, yes, like it's going to be done before August, which I know that not all of us have always trusted everything that Cerati has had to say, but do we think this is this is going to happen? Do we trust him this time? Yeah, I don't. I don't know why. That's my problem with it. Like, I know your average soccer agent is probably relatively untrustworthy, but Diego Cerati is like pretty <laughs> high at the top of the list. So this is exactly what I would expect him to say. If you like, if you just said like write a Diego Cerati quote for this question, this is exactly what I thought the answer would be. But I think there's enough smoke around the rest of this story that it's believable. I mean, we're running out of time, right? We have until August 7th to be able to sign Rigoni, and Dominguez has to be gone before that can happen. So um, here's to hoping that it's the case. But like you said, there's there's enough smoke that, fingers crossed, that this is what's happening right now. Um, yeah, I, think it, what is that? I was going to say, one of the other things I've read is like, you know, people also talking about, is this related to the accusations or response, whatever it's like, you know, I would feel good if even if you ignored all those things, I would feel good about bringing in Rigoni and sending out Cecilia Dominguez, just like just in pure soccer terms. Oh, yeah, I, I think so, too. From what I, I've seen, still not a ton, but enough of Rigoni playing that like I would take this swap. Yeah, on, on soccer terms alone. But given the fact that there is all this other baggage, uh, yeah, it's like 100 percent, like even better. That's like gravy on top of it all yeah i just i I don't think we're taking a discount because of the baggage i guess it's really is really my point in it like i think it's a good move no matter what and the fact that all these other things have happened make it even better yeah absolutely um i don't think we talked about this on last week's show but charlie asensio went out on loan he's playing at charleston battery and i think last week he got man of the match in a game and then got an assist in the game after that. Is that right? Yeah. So in their July 13th game, he was man of the match. And then in their game, I believe it was yesterday. He picked up an assist. It was one of the three, three chances he created. So he's like the second most effective player of the match that one. So he is doing a great job in USL, which is exciting. Yeah. So with Hector Jimenez after the, he went down in the Houston game, right? So early on in the Houston game, Jimenez goes down. Um, looked like a really serious injury, like looked like it was, might be really bad. Turns out it's maybe just six weeks, uh, which is not ideal, but, um, better than certain alternatives. But given that we are now only at three total fullbacks, so we have Nick Lima, we have John Kolmanich, we have John Gallagher. Do you think that we should call Asensio back? Or are we okay with these three guys? I don't know that we call Asensio back because Asensio's never played right back, has he? Which is where our gap is. Uh, I don't. Maybe I'm sure he has at some point, but looking when I was watching tape of him in college, it seemed to be almost always on the left side. Um, that being said, John Gallagher can play right back. He it's is right footed. And that's where yeah. he played when he went into games last year, the Kansas City game, he played right back. And so, yeah, my thinking is you're right. Like it doesn't necessarily provide depth at the spot that we need. 
But also, I think with the three guys we have, given that Lima and Gallagher are both fairly comfortable playing on both sides, Kolmanich is like a good option as well. It's not like we're in bad hands if Kolmanich ends up playing. I think we probably roll with these three guys. Wolf said in an interview last week that, I think it was in the press press conference last week, that if we needed to, he could throw Jared Stroud or Owen Wolf uh, at right back. They could do a job in a pinch. I'm sure he's not going to want to start one of those guys or play substantial minutes with either of those guys. But if towards the end of the game somebody has to come out and we have to throw one of those guys there, I think they could do a job for a few minutes. I don't think we see Asensio get called in unless one of our three current guys gets maybe gets a card or gets injured or something like that. Then we might see Asensio get called back in for depth. Yeah, I think you're probably right on that one. And that would lead him to the uh, almost the, like Freddie Klingman last year loan, right? right. How long did Freddie spend? Freddie spent like a week out and then had to come back. Yeah, I don't, maybe it was a little longer than that, but it wasn't very long at all. And yeah, it's Freddie's had a rough go of it. He got his loan cut short last, last year, ended up not getting any minutes, went out, was finally getting some minutes, and then uh, did his knee, is out for the whole season. So uh, hopefully Freddie will get a run of good luck after this year because he's had a, a pretty tough go. Yeah, that poor guy. I mean, the other thing that helps us on the uh, injury front is that until, I think until the end of August, we're only playing one game a week. So we're not in like a necessary rotation mode. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, all right. Any other news before we jump into this week of games? No, let's talk about the games. Let's talk about the most exciting part of this week and the trophy. Yeah. So Austin FC won Copa Tejas this week. So they got four points against the other Texas team, putting them uh, atop the Copa Tejas standings. And then eventually, not immediately after the game, but eventually, um, the team and the fans got to celebrate with the Copateos trophy. And so in both of these games, Austin came from behind, which made me think of a tweet that Tom Bogert put out this week with a couple of ranked lists here. And the the two lists were points gained from losing positions in MLS this season and points dropped from winning positions in MLS this season. And so on points gained from losing positions – Austin FC is atop the list with 16 points. So that means we've been losing and either drawn or won games winning 16 points from that position. It's maybe not the best to have been in those positions, but if you're <laughs> going to be in the losing positions, it's good to have won 16 points from them, right? Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Well, and even um, you know, LAFC is tied for fifth in terms of games points a game for losing position. So I think, mean, you know, they're the best team in the league so far this year. So it's okay to be there. Maybe not. It's very traumatic as a fan, but uh, it's good that they've managed to show the ability to rally. Yeah. Uh, speaking of LAFC, they are atop the other list, which is points dropped from winning positions in MLS. LAFC has dropped zero points from winning positions. So anytime that they have gone up in a game, they won that game, which is, Pretty impressive, like kind of amazing, actually. I I went back and looked at Austin's because Austin wasn't on this list. He only lists the top three and then the bottom three. Austin has dropped five points from winning positions. I think that would – NYCFC is third place with four dropped points. So Austin would be close to the top of that list, which is quite good too. 
Uh, FC Dallas, on the other hand, is tied for 27th uh, with 15 points dropped from winning positions, which we'll we'll cover more of that here in a little bit. But uh, two pretty good lists to be towards the top of. Yeah, they are. So do you want to talk about what happened with the trophy? Yeah. Or so, how the trophy how the trophy ended up in the parking lot, which made for amazing visuals. Like I know that was sort of a logistical <laughs> nightmare that made it out there, but like seeing the team and the fans in a parking lot celebrating with a trophy was like great content for social media. It really was pretty great. Like it's uh so the game ends. We're we celebrated it like a win. Like I don't know that all of the people they're cheering for FC Dallas knew what was on the line in this game. It does seem like there's like a pretty big contingency of just like casual fans that maybe don't keep up with the team week in and week out at those games. But the thousand or so Austin fans that were there, they knew exactly what was on the line. And so even though we went down early, didn't really look that good for most of the game and came out with just a point, we celebrated it like it was a win because it felt like one. And so after the game, the players don't go to the locker room. They stick around. They come over and are are celebrating with the fans. Uh, the The crowd starts singing "I Love You, Baby," and the the players are all dancing. And after a bit, it seems like the players are just like hanging around and waiting. And so, like, okay, maybe they've been told that the cup is coming out. And we're just waiting for it. We had been told, like, it had been uh, this. The information had been released among the supporters groups that like if we win they're probably not going to give us the trophy in the stadium but the fact that the players and and team staff were all sitting there waiting on the field we thought okay maybe they changed their mind we're just going to hang out here and probably waited for 20 25 minutes and got to see Ruben Gabrielson doing the worm on the field and uh which I, I got a great video of I'll put that in the show notes um but we were all just kind of hanging out, watching the guys just kind of like vibing on the field, hanging out. And then finally, Felipe comes over and says, like, starts pointing, like, go over there, go out there. And I think there's some information passed, like, supporters group leadership. And so everyone just starts streaming out to the the south end of the stadium. And they had some, like, temporary barriers put up. But they all the players went out there. All the fans were there outside of the the little barrier and they did the whole little whoa like the the cup lift that you see him do um and it was just like it really was like a fantastic atmosphere that the players were all right there among the fans and then after, even after the players went in all the fans stuck around and the morgo was there and everybody was just singing and dancing for probably another 15 or 20 minutes after the the players had gone back into the locker room so um yeah, great experience. One other thing that probably hasn't been spread anywhere else, but the the temporary barriers. You know which ones I'm talking about? Like the light metal ones that look kind of like bike racks. Yes, yes. So it was those. As the players come out, like fans get excited and like there's a little bit of a push and one of those barriers moves a little bit. And one of the security guards there like lost his mind. And started like kind of like pushing Austin FC fans and yelling at them. At this about this time, Alex Ring is walking up and sees this happening. And Alex Ring goes after the security guard, which is amazing. That like he ended up having to be kind of pulled off. And I think they ended up moving that that security guard somewhere else. But to see like 
our captain come after not not just protecting his own teammates on the field, but in a parking lot after a game going to protect his own fans like that's why he's the captain right there. Yeah, and I don't I don't know if we've ever talked about this before, but among the people who I would not want to like get sideways with in a parking lot after dark on the team, I feel like Alex, <laughs> like Alex Ring has to be number one. I would yeah, not the, want to mess with that dude when the he's the only in a reason I might pick anybody else on the team is just because they're bigger than him. But <laughs> as far as attitude and like mentality goes, he's got to be number one on that list. So that was, so was the parking lot celebration. With so how long did you say it lasted? So the players were out for a few minutes and then they like went back in and the fans like kind of hung out and sang for a while. Yeah, the fa- players were out there for, for probably five or ten minutes, and then the fans hung out for another twenty minutes, and then finally all started filtering back over to the buses to to head back home. But uh, it was it was quite the scene, and I, I was I'm very happy that I got to be there to to be a part of it. It was a lot of fun. All right, we want to save some time to talk about the two games, uh, two exciting and eventful games. So we will do that here in a moment. But first, we're going to take a quick break and do some ads. Hang tight. We'll be right back with more Moon Tower Soccer. Jeremiah, there is a lot going on in Austin. There's a lot going on in Texas. There's a lot going on in the country. Sometimes I wish that there was one quick place to get all the news that I need for the day. Do you know where I can get that? Would you like that news to deliver to you uh, in short form between six and ten minutes long? I absolutely would. Well, that is amazing. Then you should check out the Austin Daily Drop, which is brought to you by longtime Austin broadcasting veteran Chris Mosier. What can I get from the Austin Daily Drop, Jeremiah? Well, you can get a summary. Of, well, so we, every week we do this ad, and <laughs> we talk about the types of things you might get. But this week, I decided to actually go through the episodes and like talk about the things you would actually get. So had you listened to the Daily Drop over the last week, you would hear a lot about the heat wave. You'd hear a lot about the electrical grid. You'd hear a lot about uh, the situation you have Uvalde and all the things that have come out since then. And uh, you would hear a lot about... Uh, sort of just spread of misinformation in general. So I feel like that's sort of a summary of everything that's going on in Austin and the world. Yeah, so you can listen to the Austin Daily Drop Monday through Friday, usually out pretty early in the morning, usually about 8 to 10 minutes long. Uh, It's a quick, easy, and reliable way to get up to speed about everything that's happening in Austin that you need to know. If you give Chris 10 minutes, he'll give you Austin. All right, and we are doing another ticket giveaway thanks to Sage Wilson Property Group. And Jeremiah, I ran into Eric Wilson at the FC Dallas game and got to talk to him for a little bit after the game. That's super cool. Was he on the bus? Did he happen to be there? Was he on the bus ride? Was he just uh, no, I think hanging out? He and his wife were there. I think they drove as well. And so um, my brother lives like 20 minutes from the stadium. So we drove up and stayed at my brother's place. And so we got to walk from the stadium back to the cars with him and had a nice little chat. And a listener of the show, Jackson, I can't remember his last name. I don't know if you've ever met him, but really cool dude. I've gotten to hang out with him a couple of times now. But Jackson had actually already used Eric Wilson as his realtor when he bought his house before uh, he was ever <laughs> advertising with us. And so he said whenever he first heard it, he texted Eric and was like, hey, I just heard Sage Wilson on the on Moon Tower Soccer. And so that was a lot of fun, like walking, just like happened to be walking back with Jackson and Eric back to the car and got to just hang out talking to them for a while after the game. But 
Uh, we're going to be doing that ticket giveaway. Go to moontowersoccer.com, click on free ticket giveaway in the top navigation bar, or you can go to the show notes of this episode that you're listening to right now, click on the link and fill out the form. Um, this is made possible by Sage Wilson Property Group. So if you or someone you know are in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, you should talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. And Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FEF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FEF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can go to FEF.law to find out what makes FEF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Okay, so speaking of lawyers, do you watch Better Call Saul? No. Okay. Do I need... you did... Well, I just going to say, if you did, he's like an awful person and a terrible personal, personal injury lawyer, and it's not at all like the good folks at FEF Law. So, like, if you love that show, don't judge all injury lawyers by Saul Goodman. Yeah, it should be called Better Call FEF, right? It's even better. Super catchy. <laughs> Super catchy. It's the reason we don't write this stuff. All right, we are back. We're going to cover the... Two Copa Teos games from this week. We'll start out with the Houston Dynamo game. Austin FC beat the Houston Dynamo 3-1 at home at Q2 Stadium. Last, what day was this on? Tuesday. Tuesday. Second one week ago from when this episode is going to come out. Uh, this feels like it was a month ago, and I barely remembered anything about it until I went back and watched some highlights and some other clips from today. Do you feel the same? Oh, absolutely the same way. I, I just, Yeah. For sure. Okay, well, let's see if we can remember any of the like pre-match narrative. But um, the goals came from. Uh, let's see if I can even remember this. So, Diego Fagundes scored one. Maxi Ruti scored one, and Alex Ring scored one. Uh, Coco Carasquilla scored Houston's only goal. Going into this one, I guess we thought maybe there would be some rotation because we had come back from Atlanta. So we were, I think, it was seventy some odd hours after the Atlanta game. Um, so we kind of thought Gallagher might be rotated anyway and that Kolmanich might get the start, but Gallagher ends up not even being on the team sheet due to illness. And so he's not even there for that one. We see Hector Jimenez get the start probably for similar reasons, just rotation. Cause I think Lima went 90 against Atlanta. Um, Hector Jimenez, as we mentioned earlier, ends up going down after 22 minutes with that injury. So Lima comes on anyway. Uh, but then in the midfield, I guess Danny Pereira was back from suspension, but did not get the start. So maybe that was a little bit of a surprise. Owen Wolf instead gets the start in central midfield with Ethan Finley starting at the right wing and then Uruti and Fagundes, uh, the other and that, that top three, and then Drew C and Alex Ring in the midfield, Gabrielson and Cascante at center back. Um, so a little bit surprised to see Owen Wolf at in central midfield. Why do you why do we think Danny Pereira didn't get the start here? Is he still maybe being punished for his cards? Because Wolf all but said that last time he came back from a suspension. Yeah, maybe a little bit of that. I don't. I like. I like to be more positive. I like to think he's being protected from future <laughs> card mishaps. But also, you could look also look that look at that as being punished maybe a little bit for for cards. But um, 
which I think is fair. He's going to learn. Yeah. I think that's fair, especially after, I mean, Finley and Wolf both played really well in, in prayer's absence. And so I think it's fair to start them. I, I thought it was interesting to see Owen Wolf get the start in midfield. Uh, I think he didn't look great in this game, but that's part of the learning experience. Like again, he's just barely 17 years old. I don't think he looked terrible, but I just think he got a little bit lost in the sauce at times uh, with Houston pressing us and not really knowing exactly where to be. Um, we were, I was having a conversation on uh, in Los Verdes Slack today about like why Danny Pereira starts at the six instead of Alex Ring. And those two advanced midfielder positions with Drew Yussi and Ring playing in those spots, I think those are the two, like the, that position – which I, I see them as kind of equal positions are the most positionally flexible spot on the field in Josh Wolf's system. I think he wants those, those guys playing in that position to read the game and to understand what it needs. Do they need to drop in? Do they need to push forward and help stretch the line? Do they need to float wide to provide an option there? I think he wants those guys making those decisions based on reading the game. That's part of the reason why he wants Alex ring playing in that. Cause Alex ring is, one of the smartest guys on the team, one of the most experienced players on the team. When you slide a 17 year old into that position, even though like when he gets the ball skills wise defensively, he has a lot of the tools and and is not so far from being ready to play that mentally and experience wise, he's not quite there. And I think that showed a little bit in this game. Yeah, I think you're right. He just, he just couldn't show that. So on, here's my admission on the Karaskia goal. I got a beautifully amazing taco from uh, Valentinas <laughs> and was like leaning over the edge of that, like the end of that open section that's sort of like standing room only section when the Karis uh-huh. goal happened. But I was sort of like lost in the brisket taco <laughs> and I had to go back and watch it on, on the replay. Like I didn't, so you're going to have to describe this because I did not get a full understanding of it other than like I was really enjoying myself and like a food moment and then I was upset. And those, those are the emotions that I remember. Okay, so I think this will be interesting to talk through. So um, I think the fullback, who would have been Hector Jimenez at the time, uh, pushed out wide to cover somebody. Karskia makes a run kind of up the middle there in behind the line. And so Cascante has to follow him out. Cascante kind of like shoulders him and like pushes him, but Karskia doesn't go down gets on the ball, they kind of go shoulder to shoulder again and Cascante gets tripped up and ends up like tumbling and like doing a little roll, which allows Karski to get by him. And then he he takes a really nice touch inside and puts Stuver in a tough position, not able to completely guard that near post. And so I think Ring is crashing in, or Gabrielson is covering the back post because there's a runner there. Ring comes in sliding in trying to block the shot and Karaskia just five holes Stuver and puts it right in between his legs as he's trying to decide, do I cover near post? Do I cheat out a little bit and cover this cross? And Karaskia uh, recognizes that and just puts it between his legs. Really well done by him. But in the moment, I was furious that they didn't call a foul on Karaskia because I was kind of thinking that, okay, Cascante goes shoulder to shoulder with him and pushes him. And then Karaskia does the same thing back to him. But I thought Karaskia fouled Cascante and that they should have called that back. Upon the replay, I don't know if that's entirely true. I think maybe 
it was fair. But either way, the fact that Cascante pushed him two seconds before then, I don't know that he was going to get that call anyway. Yeah, that's probably a fair a turnabout is fair there. Uh, so Austin, I was going to say, Austin answers not not long after. On is this, is, Will this be the first direct free kick goal in club history? Yes, we saw that uh, being talked about. I think Opta Jack posted this one, which is like a, a stats, like a soccer stats Twitter account. And it seemed like an, a direct attack on Tomas Pochettino. <laughs> I remember last year we had seen Tomas Pochettino score those two free kicks in preseason. And we're like, oh, this is amazing. He's going to score so many long-distance goals and free kicks. And he sure did take a lot of those, but scored zero of them. I think Cascante ended – or sorry, uh, Pochettino ended with like, I don't know, how many goals, maybe two or three on the whole season. Um, and so, yeah, it was great to see Fagundes bury this one. So Giussi draws a foul at the top, like does a nice little evasive move to get, get away from a couple of defenders and then gets fouled right at the top of the box. Uh, we see it was like over on the right side. So we see Kolmanich line up because it's a decent angle for a left-footed curler to the far post. And then Drusi was there, but not lined up to take the kick, which kind of surprised me because that seemed like good position for Drusi. But Fagundes wanted it and Drusi let him have it and credit to him because Fagundes hits a perfect free kick. Like it's one of those where Steve Clark just like turned his head and watched it go in. Didn't even try to get over to it to to block it or anything so uh, i i saw some people criticizing steve clark i don't think there's anything he could have done if anything maybe the wall could have been set up a little better i think fafa pico was the end person on the wall and he's not very tall and so he jumped as high as he could and the ball was still way over his head but like even i think if tim parker had been standing there in that part of the wall i think that ball's still going in like diego hit it perfectly yeah, that was beautiful. And, did, and that was the second corner, right? Because there was an earlier corner that... A corner, free kick. There was an earlier free kick that uh, he didn't take directly. Do you think that had anything to do with it, too? Because there, was, there was one like three minutes in that like he lined up behind the ball and Jean lined up on the side of the ball and Jean ended up taking like the sort of the short kick. Do you think it had anything to do with the fact that uh, it got through on the second time around? Uh, maybe. I think probably more to do with just positioning. I feel like that one was maybe wider like out to the side of the box it was a much more difficult shooting position but um yeah i i think probably i'd have to go back and watch it but i think probably position had more to do with that one but so we ended up tying it up halftime comes i i feel if my memory serves correct i feel like we still don't look great for the rest of this half uh and i i think a lot of it had to do partly with owen wolf like not quite being like quick enough or being in the right spot enough to, for us to break Houston's press. Cause they were pressing us quite well. And I, so got uh, some positive feedback from pressing strategy from last week. And so one thing I noticed in this Houston game is it seemed like Austin was maybe being like a little too patient building out of this press, but we saw, I guess it was it in the Atlanta game that we had that like eight pass buildup from the back? Yeah, yeah, that was the one. I don't remember who posted about it, but one of the one of the MLS guys on Twitter is like, "This is why you, this is why you build up from the back in this way. Like this, this is what we're getting." Yeah, and I think Chris Bills had a, a tweet mentioning something like that as well. But 
like this is what you're getting this is why you do it and like when it works it's really good <laughs> and so i i could imagine i didn't actually hear anybody say this but in this houston game i could imagine some fans being a little annoyed by how patient they were being but houston they were trying to like let them play it to the center backs and then the the forwards would kind of go around behind and they were trying to force the center backs to play to either carry the ball further at field or to play wide. And then there, that was kind of like the spring to the trap for them to go press out wide and try to pin guys against the sideline. And they had to play a, like a hurried ball forward or lose the ball in that, in that moment. So the center backs, our center backs were being very mindful of when they received the ball. If they noticed one of those forwards trying to kind of trap them in, they would turn very quickly and get the ball right back to Stuver. And it seems like um, kind of like a retreat, like a, an admission of defeat. But I think what they're really doing is like, we're going to play the ball forward on our terms. Like you don't get to decide when we go forward, we're going to decide that. And so I thought that was really, really clever and like really well executed by the two center backs and by Stuver saying like, you don't get to decide when we go, we decide when we go. And so when they finally did make that one pass or Cascante would take a touch around a defender and break that first line, then things would start to open up. I think especially in the second half when we brought uh, Danny Pereira on and put him at the six, you break that line either with a center back or Danny can kind of break that line carrying the ball sometimes. Then things started to open up a little more, and that's when we scored more goals. But um, I, I thought it was, uh, once again, Last time it was our press that I thought we had a really good game plan in, but this time breaking Houston's press, I thought we had a good game plan. So at halftime, I was thinking uh, Karaskia, I thought was like clearly their best player on the night, which I think he is for them most nights. As the the teams went in to the locker rooms for the half, a lot of times the subs will stay out and warm up. Hector Herrera for Houston stayed out and was warming up and he didn't have a training top on. He had his Jersey on. I was like, okay, Herrera's coming on. And I was, I was nervous because I was thinking, okay, they're going to pull off um, one of these other guys in Karaskia and Herrera are both going to be in that midfield. And that could be quite dangerous. They end up pulling Karaskia off for Herrera. I don't know if Karaskia, if that was a rotational thing, if he was injured, what it was, but if that was a tactical move, like that's how you're solving the like that's your plan for winning this game i think it was a terrible move because hector came on and was like okay made some really good pass really good passes some some clever balls like stuff like that but as far as like the dynamism that carasquia brings to the game hector had none of that and so i think he was a major downgrade (laughs) in the moment well we talked about that going all the way back to um when Austin went to Houston, right? When when that, that news first came out, that like what problem is Hector Herrera solving? He's obviously solving the getting people in the stands problem because they, they they had good numbers. But yeah, subbing him on for the most dynamic player on the team does not seem like a path toward being a playoff team. Yeah, maybe maybe there is an excuse for that. Maybe Karski was tired or injured or something like that. But um, for Houston to have any chance of being decent going forward, they need both of those guys on the field at the same time. And luckily for Austin, we didn't see that. <laughs> um, so Austin ends up scoring second goal in the 57th minute. This one is from Maxi Ruti. I'm trying to remember all these goals now, Jeremiah. 
this one comes from Drusy uh, has the ball towards the top of the box, draws a foul while dishing it over to Uruti, and Uruti plays a really like finishes really well, just like a low curler that just kind of skips past Steve Clark and just bounces right inside the bottom corner of the far post. I thought that finish by Ruti was really impressive. Yeah, it was a really yeah, it was a really good finish. I mean, the guy continues to to have like a renaissance, right? And be I think more than we expected out of him so far. So I've got cuz the Logan sent me their game reports and they're they're, they're really like <laughs> kind of stream of consciousness writing, so <laughs> I will say this goal's description is that seeing Drew attack toward the south end is a magical experience. It's obvious how much more skilled he is compared to everyone else. We were already cheering Maxi's goal as it curved around Steve. I think it's a pretty good description of that goal. Yeah, and I like in this game, so both of these goals, Drew's fingerprints are on them. We'll see this going forward as we talk about the Dallas game as well. But um, yeah, Sebastian Drew continues to be a revelation for this team and is very good at soccer. <laughs> yeah. That guy's uh, okay. So Maxi, I do have to call him out on this earlier in the game. He had an old school Maxi Ruti moment where I think it was on a corner maybe. And it like, it gets hit and like headed away and Maxi, uh, the ball falls to Maxi on the opposite side. And so we still have numbers in the box Steve Clark had come out and was like way towards where Maxi received the ball. And we have Ring, Gabrielson, and a couple of other players all in the box. And instead of floating a ball back post, Maxi decides to have a shot from like a 15 degree angle with Steve Clark in between him and the goal. <laughs> and all like Gabrielson and Ring both start yelling at him immediately. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Play it into us. There's an, an open net. All, all we have to do is touch it and it's going to go in. And he just kind of like shrugs his shoulders like, hey, sometimes I got to shoot. <laughs> Maxi Rudy, this is what I do. <laughs> and so I was glad to see him shoot in another moment and it pay off and kind of redeem himself there. Um, the third goal comes in the 70th minute. So not long after this one's by Alex ring. So this move starts off with Alex ring. Uh, I don't remember how he received the ball, but he plays it centrally. He's like kind of in the left channel a little bit deeper plays it centrally to Maxi. Maxi again does really well to receive the ball, turn, find Ethan Finley running up the right flank, plays it out to him. And as ring played that pass to him, he continues his run and gets in the box. And if you watch that replay, you see rings hand go up and he's like right here, put it right here. And, uh, Finley sees him apparently. Cause he puts in a really nice cross and it like hits Alex ring in stride, gets his head on it, scores. Yeah. Right on the head. It was beautiful. So do you want to talk about Ethan Finley, uh, here now about how, about how he's yeah. looked over the last few games? Yeah. So I think we, we kind of praised him on the last episode, but he had a goal and an assist two games in a row, and then got another assist uh, in this game. So he had three assists and two goals in three games, which is really impressive. And like I think I said this last week, but this is the Ethan Finley that I hoped we would see and that has existed before. Uh, we just haven't always gotten him, but he's been he's been really quite good over the last little stretch of games. So uh, I've been really, really pleased and really impressed with him. Yeah, and that's kind of the end of... I mean, I don't guess it's the end of the action. It's the end of the goals. 
So we have some more subs. We see Felipe comes in for Juicy at 81. Roddy Redis comes in for Finley at 81. And Roddy Redis again looks uh, relatively dangerous for Roddy Redis. Yeah, I think pretty good, right? Plus, <laughs> yeah, the whole supporter section was like super excited about the potential that Roddy might pick up a goal. I think Phil West mentioned that. That while the press box does not like to root for things, that, that by the end of this match, they were really hoping that Roddy would like blow the roof off the press box and, and score a goal. So he's he's had another decent performance too. Yeah, it was nice in this like congested stretch of games to have a game kind of tied up in that moment where you can say like, okay, let's get Juicy off the field and give him some rest. And like that's that's a great luxury to have in weeks like this. So um, yeah, finished it out. I think. Houston had a couple of late chances. One, um, a really nice little combination of passes between, I think it was, I don't remember who started the move, but it fell to uh, Quintero, who one one time passes it to Picot in the box, and he's one-on-one with Stuver and kind of hits it right at Stuver and doesn't really trouble him much. But they had a chance to maybe make it 3-2, but not didn't really trouble Austin a ton. Didn't feel like they were going to come back into this one. So, um, yeah, really great result there. And that put us in position to, I guess, that and the, the following. No, no, that was it. Like, this game put us in our own fate in our own hands for the Dallas game, right? So before then, we were going to have to beat Dallas to win Copa Teos. By beating Houston, we put ourselves in the position to to either win or draw at Dallas to win Copa Teos, um, which ended up being a good thing because that's what happened. <laughs> that's exactly what we needed to do. Yeah. So, yeah, Austin drew 1-1 at Dallas. Uh, the lineup for this one ended up being kind of the, like what I think what I would call our best available 11 at this point, right? Yeah, that 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 would be. I don't, there's no no surprises there. So you get John Gallagher back. Come, he's coming off. Uh, I guess he had a case of the stomach bug or whatever. He was he was non-specific when he was talking about that in the interview, which I think is probably pretty, pretty good. <laughs> he's like, I had a stomach virus and all the things that came with it. <laughs> it's how he described that. But yeah, he's back. Um, and other than that, you know, nobody's on, nobody's out on cards or anything. So you you get effectively see our best eleven, except you don't get to see our head coach for the first time in two years in this one. Yeah. So coach Wolf was under, uh, what, what is the code word that means COVID health and safety protocols, health and safety protocols, which means either tested positive for COVID or clear COVID exposure. So Davey Arnault took the helm and was the acting head coach for the night, which was not the first time he's done. So I believe he was the interim Houston Dynamo head coach for like two games at one point after Wilmer, I think after Wilmer Cabrera got fired, he ended up being the head coach for two or three games or something like that. Well, I feel like if there's anybody that's going to do that, like Dave, Davey's the guy, right? Cause they've been, they played together. They played alongside each other. I can't imagine that anybody is more in Josh Wolf's head than Davey Arno. And because it was health and safety and not uh suspension or whatever, like Josh Wolf was, in contact all the time, maybe during the game. I think they had him on FaceTime, like celebrating the cup <laughs> with the team after they won it. So he was very much a presence uh, throughout this. He just wasn't on the sideline. Yeah. And it seemed like um, this happens a lot anyway, but it seemed like the, you got to see Rodrigo Rios and 
Preston Burpo, the two other assistant coaches who are on the bench normally, it seemed like they were up and talking to players a bit more from the sideline and stuff like that. So it was, it was kind of cool to see our coaching staff step up and, and kind of take on that role and not, not cower from the occasion, but say like, yeah, we're ready for this. We've been, we've been prepared for this. So we're not worried. Um, and I don't, I, I don't like, it's hard to say like how much of, of an effect a coach has in general, but I don't think there were any decisions made or anything we saw that made us think that the coaches did a bad job in this game. No, I feel like they very much followed the same script that Josh would like in terms of, I think the substitutions is probably the one thing that happens in the moment that you wonder about, but I feel like the substitution patterns we had in this one were exactly what you would expect to see if Josh Wolf was in charge. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, and like Arno confirmed that they had been in touch throughout the day and I don't know that he explicitly said they were in touch during the game, but it kind of seemed like they were in touch during the game as well. So like Wolf may have had a hand in some of this too, but um, the first half just didn't, wasn't very good. Was it on Austin's part? I think we looked, I think very early on, there were a couple of times where we got stretched and had to sprint back. And from like, after those early moments, everybody just looked really tired. And it was one of those things where it's like people were, it wasn't like, um, it was like people looked mentally tired as well. And it's one of those things. It's like not everyone was still running back. Like if they were in transition, people were sprinting, but whenever you turn around and have to try to play a possession game, going the other way, if someone plays a pass, a couple of feet wide, like it's like that extra bit of effort to get in position and then like some sloppy passes, passes weren't accurate. And so all of that led to it just being like a really sloppy, tired looking game. And so it just makes, takes all of the crispness, crispness out. And so we got into like horseshoe of sadness territory, because if your passes aren't crisp, passes aren't accurate, then it takes just that little bit more of time. If guys are tired, they're maybe not making runs in the same way and not playing passes as quickly. And it just, all the stuff we saw, especially against Atlanta, just like moving and and playing balls quickly and making things happen like that, like none of that was happening in this game. And so very ponderous on the ball and just not making things happen with with that sharpness that we've been seeing recently. Well, I don't know if you saw this in person, but on TV, it looked like the field was very wet and yeah. very slow and very much like, all, so they were having to make those extra steps where they might not have had to anyhow, because the ball was just never seemed like it was going where they wanted it to. And I know part of it was like not being crisp or whatever, but it just seemed like a really, really slow field. I have a theory on this. Um, I saw some people talking about this on Twitter and some like Dallas fans stepped in to say like, no, they do this. So the ball plays better on like, no, every team waters the field. Like every team does that. But this was like, I know I I watched Dallas's midweek game and saw the same thing, but you can see where the sprinklers are because there's standing water around them. And like, as players would step in it, water would like splash. And that is not normal. It's normal to water the field. It's not normal to be able to see water splashing up off of the sprinkler heads whenever players step in that area. I think this is a theory, but it could be true, is that 
whenever you're you have the, some of the fastest players in the league and want to try to break in transition, if you launch a long ball, you want it to kind of sit up and not just like skim off the surface. And so it'll slow down Austin's play as we're trying to possess the ball. But then as they break in transition, they can lump a ball forward. And instead of like skipping off the surface, it might hit a puddle and slow down a little bit. Just a theory, but I don't think it's that outlandish to uh, to think of. And stuff like this happens. Even in my my high school football team, we had like a really dedicated groundskeeper for my little 2A high school. But he would actually – he's retired now, so I think I can talk about this without outing him. But he would mow the grass in one corner of the field to a longer length so that when we kicked the ball off, we could kick it into that corner and kind of like pin guys back and try to get them like <laughs> starting their, their offensive drive, like on the 10 yard line. And he would like let the grow, the grass grow longer in that corner. So we could do that. So if my high school groundskeeper is playing games like that, you can guarantee <laughs> you can, that yeah. professional organizations are doing the same. Yeah. Not, you know, the field's not all to blame for that, but I feel like that it didn't help. It like yeah, it compounded <laughs> what was going on already for sure. Um, okay, so Dallas scores their first goal in the 42nd minute. This is Paul Ariola. Uh, really good combination play by their front three. Um, Ferreira and Velasco are involved in the buildup, and Jesus Ferreira was giving us trouble on that back line all night. He's he he's fast, which is part of it, but also he's just really smart, makes really good runs, and the his teammates know to look for it. And so he would time a run and get behind Cascante, and Cascante is going to lose that foot race. And so put us in some really precarious positions. Uh, Cascante is actually running in front of Ariola in this moment and is there, but like tries to react as he's taking a step and the ball just goes between his legs and Gallagher was covering him on the backside, but it, it falls to Ariola and he, I think he hits it between Stuber's legs again, which is two goals in a row there, but um, like really well executed by Dallas, but it seems like a couple of things could have gone our way a bit better, been done a little bit better by Austin to prevent that. Yeah. It's like the guys are the right place and they just didn't follow through. It's also something that happens when you have like two guys that are U.S. Men's National Team players, yeah, and very skilled on the counterattack. Like that's going to happen from time to time. Um, so halftime comes, we end up seeing we don't get subs until the sixty-second minute, which is I'd say like not necessarily early, but the fact that we saw three at that moment was of note. I think so. Danny Houston comes in for Aruti, which Aruti has just been. I think he played ninety against. Did he play ninety against Houston? I kind of think he did. Um, but anyway, yes. he was. Yeah, he played. He played all ninety against Houston, so he's twice in the same week. Yeah, so Houston comes on for Aruti. Uh, Felipe comes on for Danny Pereira, who was not very. Was not the Danny that we would probably have hoped to see in this game. And then Owen Wolf comes on for Finley, which I think was probably just a legs thing, just getting some fresh legs on. Um, we start to look better in the second half. They start to be a bit more aggressive after this happens and uh, still not like a beautiful game, but much better than the first half, I thought. 
Yeah, the one the one question I have about the subs is: Were you surprised to see Husin uh, as opposed to Musajite? Because it seemed like a Musajite kind of game whenever whenever the second half came around, and we've seen, uh, you know, Husin did not look great against Atlanta, and then obviously neither one of them got on the field against Houston. So I thought we might. I thought this seemed like a game that might be a GT kind of match for me. Um, I don't. I was I'm okay with that because I think we were struggling to move the ball. And like in games where we're possessing the ball and just aren't getting chances and need to just like lump stuff up, like I like GTA in those situations. But when we need to move the ball a little bit better and combine better than what we're doing, I I think I like Husin in that scenario. So I'm okay with that that change. Um and then Felipe just like aggression and energy like that's what you're going to get out of him and so maybe you're you're giving up some technical ability by taking Danny off the field and putting him on but just like sheer will to win and attitude and energy like that's that's a step up especially a fresh Felipe coming on in that moment so uh that one makes sense and then like we've seen Finley and Wolf swap on and off for each other all year so I think just like some more legs in the attack makes a lot of sense when you talked about how Wolf didn't necessarily have the best game uh, against Houston, but he was a very key contributor to Copateos coming. I was going to say coming back home, but it's never been in Austin. Copateos coming to Austin with his play on the Austin goal. Yeah, so uh, Dallas is building out. This is in the 79th minute that this happens, but um, we're putting them under pressure, and Owen Wolf is the one who steals the ball and starts off the the move that that Austin scores on. So he steals the ball, plays it, uh, takes a few touches, plays it forward to Driussi. Driussi is like running towards the top of the box and takes a touch. And he like, he knows where the defender is and knows where Diego Fagundes is. And as soon as he turns, he just kind of like chips it just barely over that defender's leg. And it falls to Fagundes. Fagundes does like, there's, I don't know how many guys, just closing down on him as fast as they can. And Faguna is just cool as a cucumber, takes one touch, settles it, takes another touch to set up the shot, and then just chips it past uh, the onrushing um, Martin Paz, the goalkeeper, and puts it into the to the side netting there. But it was really clever and really well done by Driussi to even get the ball to him. And then once he got to him, just the calmness of Diego to take his time and not rush it and to, to place that shot was really well, really well done. Yeah. And you, you showed that picture. There's like a, just a pile of Dallas guys on the ground around him after the shot goes through either like trying to recover or where they might be. It was pretty impressive. Yeah. I think four guys on the ground and then two others kind of standing around one of them that uh, I think Driussi, plays that ball and then like runs into a guy and puts him on the ground. (laughs) But yeah. So then I was going to say Diego's mom is in the stands and I saw Diego run over to celebrate at one point. Was it, he celebrate with his mom after that goal or was that after the game? After the game. Cause she was over on, on our end, but he did, he did get to go like uh, give her a hug and a kiss as she was like kind of leaning out of the stands after the game. And (laughs) my mom is, hi mom. I know you listen to these shows, but (laughs) she like, had us point out Diego's mom and like went and talked to her. And then as after the game, after the celebrations outside, we walked past Washington, Diego's dad. I was like, mom, that's Diego's dad. She's like turned and just started running after him. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) I went and talked to him for a while, but 
She just wanted to tell him that she loves their son and hope he does good for the rest of the season. <laughs> That's so sweet. Um. So, yeah, I, I mean, quite a few other pretty scary chances in this game. Um, I think Brad Stuver and Ruben Gabrielson for the last several games, but especially this Dallas game, deserve a lot of credit. Some really big saves, uh, some moments where they bailed out the rest of uh the rest of the team on just kind of like these last ditch efforts really clever uh execution on on these transition moments so uh Ruben Gabrielson has I think we talked about this a few weeks ago saying he was well worth the money and like a really good move that's even more true at this point and then Stuver just continues to be fantastic yeah yeah Gabrielson came up huge in this one and he just to be, he never looks that fast, but nobody ever runs past him. Yeah. And he's always like in exactly the right place. And what what was which was the goal where Stuver like made the reaction save? That was that was in this game, right? Yeah, I think like not six, the goal, but the save. Sixty eighth, sixty ninth minute, um Ferreira gets out on a break. And like you said, like Gabrielson's speed, he's fast enough to keep up with any attacker while they have the ball. If you just put him in a foot race, he's not going to be as fast as some of these guys. But while they're carrying the ball, he's fast enough to keep up with them and get into a good position. And he does this with Ferreira. Ferreira's coming up the left side. And uh, Velasco is running up the other side. And so Gabrielson, as they get into the box, he kind of drops back and is cutting off the, the angle for that pass. And essentially just like saying, like, I'm going to bet on Brad Stuver in this moment that he has the angle and has the ability to save this shot if Ferreira shoots it, but he's not going to pass it behind me and get this open net. And so Ferreira ends up playing the pass. Gabrielson gets a foot to it, which slows it down a little bit. Cascante is rushing in and gets slides in and puts some pressure on Velasco as the ball falls to him and doesn't get a clean shot off. The ball hits Gabrielson in the foot and pops up and is going into the goal and Stuver was dropping to make the save, but when it hits Gabrielson's foot and pops up, he makes this one last reaction shave and just like throws his hand at it and just slaps it, and it barely just kind of dinks over the top of the the crossbar. Which, uh, again, just like reactions being in the right spot, just coming up big in big moments. Gabrielson and Stuver—that's a prime example right there. They look so good together. He's yeah, Gabrielson has been such a nice addition. All right, Copateos champs. Anything else we want to cover there? I, I so I think a couple of things we should mention here: um, player and team stats over the last seven games. So the Montreal game on the road, I think that was kind of the beginning of this really tough stretch of games that we have coming up. Five out of the seven on the road. Some really good teams. Uh, some really congested schedules. Austin won five of those games. They drew two of those games. So seventeen out of twenty-one points. Like I said, five of them on the road. In this stretch, Felipe had his 300th MLS appearance, which I think he and Diego are the guys on the team who have that. I think Finley's at like 266, so he might get there uh, in the next season or two. And then Sebastian Giussi uh, has 17 goal contributions this season, so 11 goals, 6 assists. He's tied with Hani Mukhtar, from Nashville for the MLS lead in that category. Um, 
So again, just a really impressive stretch all around from individuals, yeah. from the team. And if you would have told us back in the beginning, like before the Montreal game that we were going to get 17 points out of this stretch, like I would have laughed at you. There's no way that was going to happen. Yeah. And one other thing. Uh, so I think Drew sees what tied with Mukhtar for second in the golden boot race too behind Tati Castellanos and Castellanos is probably off to Spain. So that removes like it's a two way race now. And yeah. I would not be surprised at all to see him pick that up. And that guy's been so we've, I think we've mentioned this before, but if you think about the biggest difference between this year and last year, just a off season and full season, Sebastian Jerusi for me is like the biggest difference between 2022 Austin FC and 2021 Austin FC. Yeah. And I, um, Ethan Finley <clears throat> in the pregame show for the, the Dallas broadcast, they did a little interview with him and he was saying that the strength of this team is that they don't rely on any one player. And that seems like you would think like, Oh no, you rely on Drusi, but Drusi is not the only reason this team is pretty good. Like we would still be in a lot of these positions to, to be winning games, but Drusi like puts the team over the top there. I think, I think Finley is right that there's so many contributors and so many important pieces of this team that we can lean on different guys here and there. But Drusi is, is that piece that, that tips it over the edge and makes us a truly like really good team. All right. I think that's all we have for Copa Teos. Uh, we need to do a New York Red Bulls preview, don't we? Which we've never played them. So I guess we're going to do a history lesson, aren't we? We have. We'll do a little bit of a history lesson since you know last year we only played two Eastern Conference teams. Uh, so this will be our first match against them. Uh, they were one of the original clubs from 1996. They were the New York, Jer- New Jersey Metro Stars. Um, long time rolls Austin- off the tongue, doesn't it? Yes, I think long time Austin FC supporter Sean Collins maybe was like a season ticket holder at some point. I feel like I've heard Sean talk about that. Um, they made the MLS Cup Finals once in 20- 2008. Lost to Columbus. Won Supporter Shield three times. They play. They played like six different stadiums in their history, but they've been at Red Bulls Arena, which I believe is in Harrison, New Jersey, since 2011. And they are part of this, I guess, Red Bulls ownership collective, which is probably worth mentioning a little bit. So, what Red Bulls owns a bunch of teams, or I guess Red Bull owns a bunch of teams. It's most notably three, but they own more, right? I think. Yeah, I think they have them in kind of like what City Football Group has done, like. City Football Group has a team in India and Australia and some South American ones. And I think Red Bull doesn't have as many, but they have one in Austria, the the big one in Germany, of course, this one. And I think there are a couple of others. So not as many as City Football Group, but I think they do have others at this point. And they do transfer players and managers and things like that back and forth um, between the clubs. Yeah, so uh, most notably... Right now, these guys have reunited at Leeds in the Premier League, but Jesse Marsh was the coach of Red Bulls not long ago. And then Brendan Aronson, who was at, at um, Philadelphia Union, not not the they didn't play together there, but then they co- he coached them in Coach Aronson in Austria for a bit. So uh, kind of an MLS reunion in England happening under the same style still, but uh, they very much of that that red. Red Bull organization tradition of playing this like high pressing, high octane rock and roll football where it's like kind of ugly most of the time, but has proven to be very effective if you can do it in a disciplined way. So last year they finished seventh in the East, lost to Philadelphia in the first round of playoffs. 
Um, Patrick Kilmala led the club in goals with eight. Um, he's returned this year. Uh, and then they also added uh, Lukinius as a second designated player. Brian Lewis Morgan, who I think is Scottish from Inter Miami. Um, and those guys have been the two best players in the attack. Morgan has nine goals on the season. Lukinius has five, which they're two leading scorers. They're third in the East so far. Two wins, two draws, one loss in the last five. I guess the big thing is you talked about their system, but from among the Eastern Conference teams we play, they're going to be they're going to be better than the Eastern Conference Eastern Conference competition that we face so far. I think it's pretty safe to say. Yeah, definitely. And so we talk about the kind of the ugly, ugly soccer that Red Bull soccer can be sometimes. Um, Lewis Morgan still fits into that system, but has quite a bit of class. He's a really good player. And then Lukinius has really been kind of that that cherry on top where like a really skillful, classy player that can make something happen in the attacking third. Whenever you red bull your way to that position, he can make something special happen in those moments. Uh, Klamala, I think his, I think he hasn't even been being put into games recently. I think they're kind of giving up on him, but, um, but Lewis Morgan and Lukinius are, are the real deal and will be definitely be a real threat against Austin considering we're a team that can be, vulnerable in transition moments the new york red bulls live for transition moments and so that's going to be something that they're going to have to be careful about also red bulls have been very good on the road for the most part so much i don't know if this is still true but for most of the season they've had a better road record than they had home record (laughs) and we're kind of like keeping their standings afloat on the road all right anything else about the red bulls jeremiah before we move on no, I'm just, it should be an exciting match on Sunday night. Looking forward to it. Yeah, well, hopefully it is going to be super hot again. I think this game kicks off at 7.08, so the sun will still be out. Uh, at the very least, I don't know if the sun will be on the field still, but it will definitely be on my seats, which I'm not looking forward to. Um, but maybe that will be a slight advantage for Austin, given these uh, New York, New Jersey boys coming down, not used to playing in this weather. We can only hope. Anyway, we'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And then if you want to consider the, continue the conversation, come find us on Twitter. I'm at LVHero87. Jeremiah is at jbentley underscore ATX. And then we're at Moon Tower Soccer on Twitter and Instagram. We'd also like to encourage you to sign up for the Patreon, where you can force us to answer a monthly question. Um, and then also get some cool Moon Tower Soccer swag. And then... Uh, access to certain things. We'll provide some kind of behind the scenes stuff. We'll ask for advice on things. I'm actually going to be posting some kind of polls just to kind of get get some opinions on how we want to shape the show and what you guys want from the show. So uh, Patreon members, be looking out for that. If you want to give us some of that input, then you can join the Patreon as well. We'd also encourage you to visit the Striker Texas website. You can use Moon Tower 22. Sorry, not the Striker Texas website, just the Striker website. I'm going to do this every time. Uh, <laughs> Moon Tower 22 with a capital M for a 30% discount. And then, Jeremiah, what should uh, Chris, what should folks look out for on the striker this week? Yeah, uh, Chris Bills did an interview, which I think he said might have been his favorite he's ever done with both uh, Gabrielson and Cascante. Oh, uh, man. Best in the MLS, Gabrielson <laughs> Cascante at the center of Austin FC's rise. It's July 13th article, and I would highly encourage everybody to read it, especially like... 
I loved Ruben before, but I really love Ruben now after yeah. reading his quotes. The quotes in this interview and him doing the worm and break dancing on the field after the Dallas game, I think he's like skyrocketing in a lot of Austin FC fans' favorite players' rankings for sure. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back next week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer where we will review that New York Red Bulls match and then preview the next match against Sporting Kansas City and then cover any other bits of Austin FC news. Hopefully uh, a transfer in and a transfer out specifically, but we'll see. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around. Think for nothing, you never. La gente. Oh my God. <laughs>